I hate that Zoom does that now, but I can't figure out how to turn it off. Not that everybody everybody knows we're being recorded, but just it's discerning. <laughs> it lets everybody know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I bet some people got recorded and didn't know it. And that's mm -hmm. why they put it in place. In fact, I think there's probably a few general authorities who have been recorded <laughs> know it and found themselves on YouTube who yeah, probably yeah, were yeah. like, hey, you need to change this or we're going to do something else. <laughs> I, I bet that had something to do with it. Yeah, I bet so too. Yeah. Hey, it gives a little message too, whether you want to stay in the meeting or leave. Yeah. Oh, it does? Yeah. Oh, so yeah it says, you, if this is being recorded, do you want to stay or do you want to leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So does that do it as you're entering a meeting? Like, so anybody that comes on now, when you're joining the meeting, does it also give that little warning? Like, hey, you're about to enter a session that's being recorded or something? I haven't come in late on a meeting, but as soon as you mm -hmm. hit the record and it said recording, that popped up. Yep. <laughs> I think it has come on when I've come in late. I think it has come on just after we have got in and, and said, you know. Mm -hmm started in so yeah all right sorry let me turn off well i was kind of trying to stall a little bit see if other people were coming on um i'm gonna turn on my do not disturb i've got my family texts coming in on the site <laughs> distracting <laughs> me not now. all right so let's go ahead and get started i'll I don't know. I can't remember who I, I called in to pray. I'll go ahead and say it. Seems like it comes around a lot. <laughs> our dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for all of our many blessings and grateful for this opportunity to, discuss, to study together this Sabbath day. We're grateful for the words of Isaiah and for uh, Avraham's discussion and commentary that, that help us to learn and grow and, and consider new paradigms. We're so grateful for uh, the plan of salvation, for Jesus Christ and and his role premortally, mortally, and uh, that all helps us to, to ascend this ladder and, and make our way back to the, we're so grateful for our challenges and trials, our descent phases that help us ascend and, and exalt ourselves. We're, we're so grateful for all of our ministering angels on all, all levels. We pray that we may be in tune, that we may be discerning um, of all truth, that we may not be deceived and that we can continually be uh, progressing and, and ministering to others in our fullest capacity. We're so grateful for all of our many blessings, Father, and we say these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so I, I chapter eight was was one that was, I wasn't quite expecting it. I was like, oh, what else can can we learn about God, Jehovah? I mean, there's there's a lot in the scriptures. What else can can Abraham really enlighten on? And I was like, whoa, holy cow, there's a lot being thrown out here. Every single page, there's there's a new little thing that I have never considered before. Or, oh my word, that's how you put that together? Uh, I, I was blown away. <laughs> and I'm still not even all the way through the chapter yet. Um, really studying this out, it gives you a lot to ponder, a lot of little side topics and studies to, to do. Have you learned yet not to ask what else is there? <laughs> you would think I'd learn my lesson, but no, I'm hard-headed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so trying to think of other questions besides what we already talked about in group A um, that I thought were interesting. So let's kind of dive into the earth specifically and its process. So um, here it talks about two different things, um, kind of towards the, the front of the chapter, where it says that um, something about the, the earth's progress, you know, like the earth had to be baptized, etc., that it's ascending the, the ladder to heaven just as we are. And then on page 273, right in the middle, the beginning of that paragraph, it says that recreation occurs on every level of the ladder. And so um, that this the seven days of creation happen um, in a cyclical pattern uh, up and down the ladder, I think that that was really intriguing. So um, any insights or thoughts on how our earth is is ascending the ladder or or how do we 
uh, what do we learn from from the earth and its pattern kind of a thing? <laughs> Sorry, that's a, a mouthful, but if there's any discussion on that. I don't want to hog this, but when you said that, you know, the earth is baptized, that's when the flood came and then it also is going to be sanctified by fire. So that's like the baptism of fire or the, you know, that we're supposed to go through, hopefully. Um, before it ascends so it goes through what we go through sort of a little bit so what we're what supposed to does its seraphim stage look like and what does its jehovah stage look like do we know hmm. i would say the jehovah stage is when it's become celestialized and it's turned into the celestial kingdom maybe the other one is when it's does the earth move from to um, and I'm going to get them backwards. Telestial to terrestrial. It doesn't move to the second stage of the three, or does mm -hmm. it just go from the bottom one to celestial? I don't know. I've never thought of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the Earth is currently in its telestial phase, and when um, Christ comes and reigns during the millennium, it will be a terrestrial. Terrestrial. Okay, that's right. And at the end of the millennium. After the final battle and all of the final everything, then the earth will become celestial. But um, the paradisiacal stage, you know, that we talk about in the 10th article of faith is the terrestrial, which is like, like the Garden of Eden. So um, it, that's the terrestrial phase. Um, and the celestial phase is... Um, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, a crystal glass. I, I, I don't know. I kind of like green. I like greenery. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to feel about living on a, on a world that's glass. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So uh, I was talking with my mom. I can't remember if it was in the break or whatever, but we were thinking about the, the quote from Brigham Young where he said that the sun, our sun, actually has inhabitants on it, that it's a, a world in its celestial state kind of a thing. And um, it, it was just interesting to think about how our world, as it progresses up, maybe it becomes its own sun, its own star that, that we... Uh, get in in that phase kind of a thing i don't know I, there, there's lots of different conjectures but um i uh, haven't heard that quote do you have a reference for that that you could share with us somewhere yes i i know <laughs> that i have it but okay. me the list aside, get this quote from Brigham young i would be very interested in, in seeing where that quote is and and what else goes with it that, that yeah sounds yeah in its context there that sounds very interesting, especially in light of <clears throat> all of the newly re released videos, um, declassified videos of all of the uh, UFOs that have been all around the, the world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For years, of course, that, you know, were there conspiracy theorists, right? You know, <laughs> nothing, to, nothing to see here. Uh -huh. long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How long ago was that released? I've seen bits and pieces of stuff, but is there a yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. I'm fine. Did a, 60 Minutes did a thing on it uh, a week or two ago at the most. Okay. So I've seen a few on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook a whole lot, but I've oh, seen just a Just for it on YouTube. Uh, and maybe on, maybe, I don't know, but I'm, it's interesting. It's, that's interesting especially right now. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? You know, and, and there the these four pilots all saw one all, all saw them together. And they said if any one of us had just seen it by ourselves, we probably wouldn't have said anything when we came back. But it was all four of us. Hmm. And you know, it was quite interesting. So well, yeah, let's let's dive down that rabbit hole for a couple seconds. So, like, <laughs> what do we think of UFOs? What do we think of of aliens and stuff? Like, obviously, we we know that creation of of human beings is going to be in the likeness of of God, etc. I've always been very anti UFO, anti alien, all that kind of stuff. But 
like you know Michael Rush's opinions on on things where where he says that that's where the ten tribes come from you know and Ezekiel describes their discs etc. I've seen lots of different arguments for and against that that theory and conjecture there. I, I thought that that was very interesting. Um, just why this is all happening in 2021? Like, is this uh, just kind of blowing smoke, trying to distract us from other like political or or world dominating things? Or is this like real? Like, is this actually 10 tribes kind of preparing to come back kind of thing? Like what, what are your all thoughts and, and things on all that? And, and you know, if there's absolutely, no- Absolutely correct, yes. <laughs> I think it's like what we discussed in the first. I think it's a deception. I mean, it's a mirror image of, but I just read a post that some stake president was saying that's just all mythology about the 10 tribes, you know, and stuff. But I think it's to deceive us. Um, I've heard of some technology that the military has it's going to use to deceive us in the future. And I think that's maybe why they're bringing out all this unclass you know bringing out this ufo stuff to set us up for some false antichrist that's gonna you know to deceive the world mm -hmm. um i don't know it's just interesting that it's happening now right after the lockdown and you know, it's just the timing is just <laughs> i'm just leery of it <laughs> i think the timing is a distraction for sure uh -huh. Um, because we have so many bad things that are happening that if the people are really thinking about what's happening, they would demand answers on something else that they don't want to give. So, um, you know, there's superinflation, you know, there, there's housing bubble, there's, you know, gas prices through the roof. There's um, the border crisis. There's all these different things going on. And, and the government doesn't want to talk about it. And it's easier to deflect, okay, let's release some of this that we know is going to get lots of traction and people are going to flock to this. And that's all they're going to want to talk about. Let's release these videos and let's do have them do a 60 minutes thing and have them do this and this and this. And I think that's working because that's what people are talking about instead of what's really happening in the country and what needs to be fixed, right? So I think that is a component. But the fact that it's been going on and the fact that it's been happening um, and the military says, we don't know what it is. You know, I, I could see that if they were testing something super secret and, you know, a lot of times they've done things like that, but they, they say, we don't know what it is. And, and some higher up people are kind of concerned that they don't know what it is. <clears throat> so I, I think whether it's the 10 tribes or not, I think it could be um, some other of God's children because we know they're out there, right? And, yeah. and that's why I was asking you, Cameron, for that quote that um, Brigham Young had. If, if there are celestial beings living on the sun, then obviously our laws of physics are not applying to them. And so mm -hmm. they might be able to fly at the speeds that we can't. And they might, you know, people are like, they're breaking the law of physics. It would take so long to get here from another galaxy or whatever. But if they only got to come from the sun, it doesn't take that long, especially if they have a little bit faster speed and better technology, you know, that kind of thing. They could indeed, um, you know, do that and not be impacted by the forces that they're saying are at play on these, on these UFOs. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Very uh, I, I think Satan tries to um, counterfeit a lot of things. And, and he takes things that he knows that the Lord has up his sleeve and he comes out with a counterfeit first. Yeah. Okay. So if you can recognize Satan's counterfeit, you know, hey, there's something coming that's even better. Look at this. This is coming. Oh, that's so exciting. 
That, that's one of the great things uh, about it. Satan always tries to beat God to the punch. And so you can almost bet that whatever's the first is uh -huh. the great thing. It'll try to be the first and it'll try to be the loudest and it'll be done the most uh -huh. yeah. uh, and repeated the most. Whereas the Lord is quiet, he's precise, and he uh, appears to those who are seeking the truth. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's another way to also determine what's true and what's not is the is the way they promote it and the and the, the father doesn't have to have loud flashy music in order to to uh, promote anything he's got mm -hmm. uh like the, like the prophet said you know you need to find someplace quiet and be still and let the spirit whisper to you because uh, satan doesn't follow that pattern at all mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I chatted. Uh, I just did a quick Google search. I have not read that site at all or anything, but that does reference Brigham Young's quote. So take it as, as a grain of salt until I can actually read it and <laughs> see if it's something. But anyway, that's one that talks about inhabitants of the sun. You know, just, just for uh, something to think about, all of the technology that we have is out of the man, minds of a man. And where do you think that, that that idea came from? It was put into the minds of men and women by the, by the Lord at a specific time. Now, one of the things that's very important to think about is all of the storytellers, all Gene Roddenberry and, and Lucas and, and uh, even Mel Brooks with the space ball, all these things have been put into the minds of people because someplace this kind of stuff really does exist. And they've been given an image, they've been given a story, they've been given a memory or a glimpse into something that exists someplace else. And it's brought to us, one, to give us the ability to understand the powers that the Lord has, but moreover, Satan takes it and turns it into a counterfeit to make it unbelievable, or it's only believable in stories. It's only a myth. It's only a fairy tale used to frighten children. Yeah. So you can you can also tell that you know the the modern inventions, everything that people have wild dreams about. They, there's some truth to everything out there. <laughs> that's, that's a little scary sometimes when you're talking dreams <laughs> if there's any truth to those but yeah well, I, you, know, I, you have to look at what's the source of that dream though right yeah exactly you know what is the source because you know satan can give dreams too mm -hmm. one of my favorite uh things to, to reference is the wizard of oz i can't remember the author right off the top of my head but anyway um when i started really diving into symbolism like the Wizard of Oz is a perfect replica of our endowment ceremony, like just all the way through. And I was like, what the heck? So I started researching like how this author got the ideas for it, et cetera. And he said it came to him in a dream. And, and I was like, well, that's so interesting. Why would the endowment be revealed in a dream to somebody that's not necessarily seeking it? Maybe he was and just didn't tell anybody. But anyway, just how all of that plays out, I, you know, truth comes in, in lots of different ways and, and representations and look at, I don't know, some of the, some of the, the morals of the story or whatever that come out of the Wizard of Oz and how that really does bless the lives of, of some people as they're, you know, seeking light and truth and, you know, entertainment, but, but there's, there's truth in, in some of those things. And right, we can find that in lots of different places, uh, and, like you've seen all of those different movies. And just just so that you understand that our Father in Heaven and, and the Savior, they have rituals and they have things that help us to understand our interaction with deity. Well, the dark side also has rituals and things that they use to teach their people how to how to follow that path. Okay, so a lot of them will be copycats. A lot of them will be used to uh, to create suspicion and doubt in those people who do follow the Lord. You know, it's one of the one of the things that I noticed 
last year was that there's uh, the theory about uh, the uh, of uh, here in America or or South America where where the hill Camorra is, and if you actually look on it, there are actually two Camorras. Now, the I'm not saying exactly what going on here, but the, if you look if you look up the the hill Camorra in South America, it is approximately 20 miles the way the crow flies from a, a town that is known as the witchcraft capital of the world. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, down in South America. Anyway, so if, if our father in heaven has sacred records buried in a hill in New York state where, where Angel Moroni, et cetera, and Joseph Smith got all those plates, you can almost bet that this hill in South America, close to this witchcraft capital of the world, has access to a whole bunch of records buried in a hill there. Now, that's, I haven't got a whole lot of proof or anything to say, but that was when I was pondering that and I came across it and it had just happened. It can't be coincidence that these things and, and those people who believe in the Mesoamerican theory believe that that hill in South America is the Camorra that is talked about in the Book of Mormon. And I'm not, here to prove them right or wrong but I'm, I'm it is my hypothesis that that is a that is another one of the counterfeits that satan has used i mean um and and there are documentaries upon that town i don't remember the name of the town but if you look it up witchcraft capital of the world there's a little bit of a documentary on that but then if you look and you google map it google sky then you can find that hill camorra is was within a short distance of that town so mm -hmm. but what the whole idea is this is that the satan has taken everything holy everything and has made a counterfeit for it and has mass produced it it's like uh a chinese knockoffs of anything that's that's real and they flood the market with it and they they do it so that the masses can't tell the difference mm -hmm. yeah exactly and, and we see that kind of as kind of bookends to, to Isaiah decoded, right? Where we're now learning about the, the God of Israel and, and the Jehovah level and the, the opposite where we began in the perdition and, and how much they mirror each other. Um, I do have written uh, on one of the margins here um, where it talks about uh, Christ in the pre-existence, well, Jehovah, and um, where he is is presenting the plan, et cetera, in the pre-existence. And, and here's the, the seven uh, levels of this ladder ascent back to heaven, et cetera. And what is Satan's counterfeit to that, that seven layer plan? Um, anyway, it's just very interesting because like you said, I mean, Satan has, has replicated every good thing in uh, and put just enough truth into it so that it really deceives and and distorts things. Well, um, let's see where where do we go next? We <laughs> we've already gotten like halfway through. Um, <laughs> I tell you, the time just goes by so dang fast. Um, oh wow, we're halfway through the time, not halfway through the chapter for any. Oh no, yeah, halfway through the time. Yeah, we're nowhere near halfway through the chapter. <laughs> well, you know how this group gets. Yeah. <laughs> Probably because we don't know how to shut up. <laughs> no, lots of great things. Um, so we talked about like paradoxes. We talked about the um, the the rotations of the the moons around the planets and the planets around uh, the suns and etc. Um, what other fun things did you learn in this chapter that you want to discuss? Um, I don't know. I, my brain's just going like a million miles a minute and I can't even land. <laughs> well, the, the universe and all the planets, they are a great big clock. And they are used to provide us the seasons and, uh, and uh, the various heavenly symbols that we are used, that, that the Lord uses for uh, prediction uh uh mileposts and and things of that nature 
because if I understand correctly, once you get out of this realm that we're in, the time is fairly meaningless. So we have to, they, he had to build something that would uh, run like a clock that they could use for signifying uh, moments in passing of time. And that's how we could do that. And that's my understanding of it. So all of these things that are put in, in motion were put in motion for a purpose. And that was to, to give us reference points along our journey and to help us to recognize progression. You know, uh, if, if you have a bad day, you go to bed, you hope that tomorrow will be a better day. You wake up, the sun is shining and you get this idea that today's a better day and a new time to try again. You can start over. Start over. Yep, exactly. Like a, a do again. It's a mulligan every day. <laughs> yeah, which, which is such a tender mercy in many aspects, you know, like, <laughs> man, some days are just the worst. All of that. your human interactions just just fail. And then the next day, it's like there's there's a new breath of fresh air, a new forgiveness, a new, I mean, if you let it, obviously, um, but uh, a renewal, uh, a repentance kind of thing. Uh, which is so great. Yeah, it, it's really nice when you um, basically can can start over in the morning, right? You go to bed, you wake up, and you're like, "Oh, it's a new day. <laughs> it's good. We we have a new a clean shot. You don't have to wait until January first. You just wait till the next morning." <laughs> yep. Um. There was one thing I saw in here about um, fathers and sons, the different levels being fathers and sons. I'm trying to find it. Because um, I thought that was an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, so it starts on page 283, I think, and goes for the next like five, six pages. Yeah, there's a, there's a chart here. It is on 287. Mm -hmm. The hierarchy of father-son relationships, right? The most high God as the father and Jehovah as the son, and then Jehovah as the father to the seraphs as the sons, and the seraphs as the fathers to the servants as the sons, right? And then the servants as the fathers to Zion Jerusalem as the sons. Mm -hmm. So you think about that. As we're going up, we get to mentor the group below and help them come up to our level, right? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. when you get up to that level, then you get mentored by the next higher level who then helps you move up to that level and you keep going until you get to meet God the Father and Mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right? another great thing about this chapter too. You know, some people just really shy away from certain topics, you know, like Mother in Heaven or that Christ had children, etc. And you know, Abraham just doesn't even phase it. He just goes right into it and like, of course, kind of thing. It's refreshing, right? <laughs> when, well, he's when called a rabbi. And, and in Jewish custom, you cannot be a rabbi and be unmarried. Mm -hmm. So he yeah. would never have been called rabbi by the people of his time if he was not married. Mm -hmm. I don't care who he was. Yeah. So... Hello. Yeah, of course it was. It for some reason that's one of Satan's counterfeits that he goes in there and tries to uh, mm -hmm. really twist all of that. Yes. But yes, well, like what you're one saying, of the things he, he took out from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because that then and there, you know, in order to have a celestial existence, you have to be a co-creator with your uh, companion, your spouse. So if Jesus Christ all of a sudden has no spouse and he has no then he is breaking the rule mm -hmm. according to what we've been told so and you know that he he did everything as our example so uh we can be safe in saying that the reason why the information has been removed is because it's been removed by uh, a follower of satan who did not want that pattern to be known mm -hmm. Well, and even told us when he got baptized, right? Right? Why did he get baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. If he would get baptized to fulfill all righteousness, well, if all righteousness included 
needing to be married, he would be, right? And we know that it does in order to ascend to that level. Um, but I think it is one of those traditions that is left over from the from the early church um, after they you know took their little scissors and cut out whatever passages <laughs> they didn't like from the Bible. Yeah. Um, still blows my mind when I read some other versions of the Bible that have you know the chapters and the verses and it has verse one, two, three, four, nine, eleven, thirteen. Yeah, just you know, you're, you're skipping verses. Where's the rest of it? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, we, we just didn't include that. Hawaii, you know, um, and, and people just take it. Uh, where's the rest of the Bible? They're sitting mm -hmm. there cutting out. Even now, they're cutting out passages they don't like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you don't understand it, just cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, well, we haven't been able to figure that one out. So it must be meaningless. <laughs> those are where the mysteries are <laughs> but yeah uh, interesting when we were uh, me and my mom were discussing this uh, a little bit earlier about um christ's ascension on the ladder kind of thing what brought it about was um we were talking about what were we talking about uh, all of a sudden my mind went blank oh um when christ is fasting 40 days in the wilderness um, and what happens when Satan tempts him? How many times does he tempt him and what does he tempt him in? And when we were looking at that pattern and, and applying it to the ladder, where does it fit in the ladder? On that uh, Zion Jerusalem level, we have three tests of loyalty and they, they match up directly to uh, his three tests in the wilderness. And so if he's ascending to the sun servant level after this experience with, with Satan in the wilderness before he begins his ministry, it's right after his baptism and, and before his ministry, uh, I would conjecture that, that he is on the sun servant level during his ministry. And we know from, from studying the latter and, and the commentary here that sun servant level requires marriage, that, that there's a partnership involved in that. And, and so that brought a new light to my end. I was like, oh, that's just another point of reference to, to, to prove that he was married. You know, if we're, we're lining out the ladder, it fits perfectly in his life. And well, of course, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, let's see. There was another point that I was going to. Another yeah, go for it. I, can you hear me? Uh, another thing that was interesting, it's on the next page in 288, because it talks about Jesus had literal seed and offspring and why, and if not, he would, he would have been cursed. But then it goes on to talk about that our tyrant, the Antichrist, he's just the opposite of that, that... Um, it says down there in the second paragraph, the arch tyrant ends up having no offspring. Now it says ends up, so I don't know if it, you know he never has offspring, but he ends up with no offspring. So that might be a, a good way for us to tell when the Antichrist comes on the scene, you know, because he's not going to have the offspring. Well, he could also lose his offspring as losing the right to having them eternally because he is perdition, right? Because he is Christ. Uh -huh. so, yeah. yeah there, there was a whole thread I was reading today. Somebody put up a thing about the, all right, anybody have any ideas on who the Antichrist might be? Woo! <laughs> oh, man, that's the, the favorite topic. Everybody loves wanna, the conjecture. You want a conversation starter. Yep. <laughs> There's one for sure. <laughs> I know. We need like this little chart of like conversation starters for awake individuals. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it would be a, a fun one because I can peg them all of the different topics that everybody loves to chime in. Yep. <laughs> it's fun. Yep. Um, yeah, well, the thing I, is, is that most of us don't need conversation starters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we, we handle it pretty well. Um, so one thing that I keep coming back to in uh, this chapter that was just kind of an interesting thing was that whenever we 
sin or whoever, I mean, we're talking generalities here, that when sin is committed, the curses that you assume is based upon the level of the person that you're committing them against. Sorry, that was kind of convoluted. Avraham says it better on one of the pages. <laughs> but you're not necessarily just taking on the, the, the covenantal curses of the level that you're on, but who you sin against. And so, for example, um, that's why, I mean, if you're defending yourself and, and commit murder, it's a lot easier to repent of than shedding innocent blood because those covenant curses are, are much more difficult than, you know, self-defense kind of thing. It's fairly easy to, to repent and uh, get baptized from that kind of thing. So that I, just led me right into it. I was like, oh, that's why the sin against the Holy Ghost is unpardonable. Because, I mean, here we're talking, you're, you're sinning against the, the absolute highest level here. And uh, of course that that's going to, to bring on the, the worst covenant curses that, that are available to, to mankind kind of thing. I, I thought that that was very interesting here in, uh, that, that changed my paradigm because I thought, oh, well, every sin has a consequence, but the consequences kind of change depending upon who you sin against kind of a thing. And, and that wasn't something that I had considered before. I, that was a, a new paradigm shift for me. Um, what else we got? There's so much in here. I, I need a better marking system is what I need so that I can find things easier. Pick another color and anything you find that you think, oh, this is a conversation starter for the Zoom class. <laughs> now that we're almost done with the book. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you would have thought I learned my lesson from the Abraham book and, and did it better here, but I did not. I, I adopted the same marking pattern. Cameron, just be aware that if you do it too perfectly, then people <laughs> will be intimidated and they will think that there's no way they can learn what you got to tell them or how they could teach somebody else because they can never do it as good as you. So you're doing just fine. It all makes it relative and easy for us to believe but yeah, we're all in this together. <laughs> yeah, if anybody goes through and watches all of these, they'll 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 get the picture that this is. It's the blind leading the blind here. I'm I'm not <laughs> any kind of gospel scholar in any way, shape, or form. <clears throat> well, scholarship has its drawbacks. So, you know, yeah, a lot mean? of it is the the simple and the weak is what teaches the greatest lessons. Not to say that you're either one of those, but uh, <laughs> no, for sure I am. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's another part here that I was going to go through. So let let's talk about paradoxes because L had um, something that uh, was was really great in the the previous one. Um, if you want to. If you still have that, can you copy and paste? Yeah, that? you want me to repost it again? Oh, fine, because I copied bits and pieces. Either that or I'll post it to the group because it was actually I just took bits and pieces of like a three-part yeah, thing that I had. So that was long. But yeah, I'll see if I can post a little bit of it. Yeah, so we talked about on page 269 the, the idea of paradoxes and how they're essential for our learning. Um, it says that we often learn more from resolving paradoxes than we can in any other way. And uh, that, that comes from sorting out the seeming contradictions. And, you know, the more I've pondered on that, the more I find that to be true, that whenever there's a, a contradiction from one prophet to the next, or even the same prophet, that they seem to kind of contradict themselves, when you actually take the time to unravel what they're saying, that's when work is put forth on on the learner's part and and god can actually start revealing things in his own way and teaching in his own method and uh anyway i just love that that idea that, that paradoxes are essential for us you know even from adam and eve you know the the two seemingly conflicting commandments but um when you unpack those great learning can can be provided and then later on in the next paragraph it says that 
that often God includes enough ambiguity in his revealed word to provide an out to those who resist his invitation to seek the truth. And, and how true that is. I mean, look at the, the two examples of like polygamy and, and the ordinations of blacks to the priesthood. There's enough ambiguity there that anybody that just wants an out, they, they can take that easily and, and, and distance themselves from, from covenants and, and truth. Yet, if you take that paradox and, and take time to study it and, and have the Lord teach you, there's some great profound truths in, in the history of both of those um, processes um, that, that have happened in the restoration and, and likewise everything. I mean, we, we just have paradoxes all over the place. And um, what Elle posted was, was talking about uh, lots of great paradoxes that we have in, in the gospel in general. Um, I'm trying to remember the bullet points. Uh, I'm not gonna remember all of them, but um, that in order to find ourselves, we have to lose ourselves. And okay, so that's contradictory. How do we unpack that? When you really start figuring that out, that's when real learning can happen. And so look at like our, our temple endowment, for example, you know, that's under, misunderstood by, by most of our uh, church body, I would say. I mean, yes, we get it at, at certain levels, etc. But there's much more paradox in there than there is just straight out this is this kind of a thing and so as we start unpacking those paradoxes we really start um, getting led by the Lord in in our studies etc and um, anyway that uh, paradoxes are, are just the Lord's plan of uh, of teaching us in, in his own way I find that very fun and exciting I just never considered it before but when you put it in a phrase like that Avraham just puts it so eloquently and I'm, oh, okay, that's that's great to know. <laughs> um, there's a great YouTube channel called Unshaken oh, by uh -huh. Jared Halverson. If you've ever watched him, he talks a lot about proving contraries. Mm -hmm. And he, when he comes to them as he's going through the Doctrine and Covenants, he goes, here's another example of proving contraries. And he goes into the explanation of, you know, the two parts of that. And it's just, it's just been very interesting Mm -hmm. you know and how many people really get shaken <laughs> unshaken not to put a pun on it but how many people really do get shaken by paradoxes well if this contradicts this then it can't be be proven so i mean it's like the scientific theory well if a doesn't equal b then i'm not believing any of it kind of thing mm -hmm. it's not of god he wouldn't contradict himself but but really that's did he really did he really contradict himself mm -hmm. yeah it's Paranormal. just our level that that can't unpack it quite right nancy do you know what episode that was of unshaken that he talked well, about that? talked about it in multiples every time he comes across one i've heard it probably at least a half a dozen times this year but oh, he okay. does he does one every week for come follow me he's like the head of the institute in salt lake and he started these broadcasts last year when everything locked down and he couldn't do his class for his institute students. And so now he does the class and it started out as like a half an hour and then it went to an hour and he would have one or two parters and, and he, he would apologize for being so long-winded and everybody commented and go, no, give us all the information. We'll parse it out, just keep it coming. And so now each week is like two to three hours long. I don't recommend trying to watch it in one sitting. Um, <laughs> but he seriously takes you verse by verse in every single verse of the whole thing and gives you background and, and information and ties it all together with other scriptures. And holy cow, it, it's the best, it's the best class I've ever been to um, mm -hmm. on, on, you know, on the scriptures, so. Yeah, there's so um, many great ones. That's one really great thing that's happened about 2020. I mean, it happened before when we first went to Come Follow Me, but 2020, it just seemed to like amplify that some of the, our greatest seminaries and institute teachers really did, you know, take on the, the task of, of learning YouTube and, and getting uh, involved there. It's been fun. Well, they had to, to reach their audience, right? Because yeah. now their audience was, they couldn't teach their class. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, his, his really are very, very good. And, uh, he just finished his, um, 
dissertation for his PhD. His PhD is in anti-religious rhetoric. And mm. so he can catch all of those things. And he actually, especially in the terms of church history, you know, he waves all that stuff in. He says, yeah, this is, we've seen this, you know, through history or whatever. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, let's see, I'm trying to look at a chat. So my dad sent me a private message. Um, Let's see. And you're not supposed to read it if it's private. What's wrong with you? I know. I got to read it first before I <laughs> say it out loud if it's a private message. Let's see. Posterity at the body. Oh, yeah. So we were talking about uh, posterity with the Antichrist, et cetera, or whatever. And he says that, like, if we're talking about Satan being an adversary, he can't have posterity as he has no body. Yes. So, um, yeah, we were talking about Antichrist uh, that comes in the last days, not. Uh, Satan, the adversary. It probably just started there. Um, but yeah, uh, very interesting there with like uh, Nancy was talking about the, the father-son relationship uh, all the way down the ladder, how Satan mimics that and tries to create like a faux posterity for himself, you know, the, the sons of perdition, etc. Um, but yet he has no posterity. He can't even have... Um, uh, covenantal uh, posterity in in the opposite sense. They're 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 just not his kind of thing. I, I find that interesting. And they will eventually be ruler over him because they will have had a body. <laughs> yep, exactly. I mean that's the ultimate slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, I would no not. No wonder he's so miserable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Elle has been posting some of those uh, paradoxical things there. Um, so yeah, some of those, the bullet points that were the example, uh, prepare every needful thing, but then depend on the Lord for all of your sustenance kind of thing. Uh, to find ourselves, we must lose ourselves. Grace without works is dead, but we are saved by grace alone. We are judged by our works, but we are saved by grace. Uh, we are not to have envy, but we are to envy the best gifts. Yeah, so some of the, the great paradoxes that um, really trip a lot of people up, but um, as we work through those, we can really get truth and, and be taught by the Lord himself in, in his own way. And like the term, it took me a long time to understand this. I finally found a quote that made sense. But we talk about self-reliance, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, but we're supposed to rely on the Lord. So how do we have self-reliance? It's like, and then I found this great quote. I'll have to find it, but it was it was it explained it all and it put it into the right context. But mm -hmm. for a long time, I couldn't understand <laughs> how can that be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of like you know, work like it depends on you, and pray like it depends on the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. Um, I really liked all of the Adam and Eve stuff throughout this whole chapter where it talks about creation and recreation, where recreation happens on each level of the ladder and how we need to put aside the, the idea of ex nihilio or whatever, how you, you pronounce that, where things aren't created out of nothing. It's, it's a reorganization. Uh, everything gets a new name and a new purpose when it's recreated on the ladder kind of thing. And um, it talks a lot kind of on 280-ish uh, about the dust, where when Adam's coming from the dust and um, uh, those descents and ascents there, I, I really like all that. I haven't, I have like notes and questions all over those um, pages, like, okay, I need to study this more. I need to ponder on this. I need to meditate on that. Um, but there's there's a lot there, and I know that there's there's more paradoxes to study about it, but um, I, I loved uh, some of the stuff that, that Avraham was was really unpacking for us in that. And and again, how the, the topic of dust actually ties in on the next page to the, the heavenly bodies and, and those creations and recreations, etc. I, I think that there's a lot to that as well. I, I'm not educated at all in astronomy or the heavens and, and so I find those things very in, intriguing as we were studying 
Father Abraham and, you know, with his ascension, etc. And he's shown um, the cosmos and he teaches astronomy, etc. to the Egyptians. Um, I found that all very interesting. I'm like, ooh, that would be an awesome blessing to have because I don't understand it at all. Um, I, you know, with some of the videos that we've uh, all watched lately of the the timeline and uh, tribulations, etc. I find it all intriguing, but I just have to lean on other people because I don't understand it. But um, that's definitely something that would be fun. That's that's my one main goal of getting translated or even on the sun servant level. Okay, just show me the stars and so I can comprehend those. <laughs> you know, when you were talking about paradoxes, one of the things that that I always used to puzzle about is many of the things that we learned in the temple, you know, the things they, they teach us to do, but to me, they were just motions. They didn't have any form or function or they didn't have any reason behind it. And then as I began to ask the Lord about things in the temple to help me to understand better, like you're talking about with the stars and, and, and understanding the cosmos, I found, uh, I found some information in a book by Eric Huntsman called Worship, and he talks about it uh, helping us to refine our ability to worship the Lord, but some of the, there's some traditions in that book that he talks about that coincided with what I learned in the temple, and every, then after I'd read that, and I, I had to read that book about six or eight times because I was just enthralled with it. Um, then every time I would go to the temple and I would participate in the in the endowment, it brought a whole new meaning of, of why I was doing it and what it represented. And if we take the time to ask the Lord to have him show us one more thing and show me just one more thing. Well, since you show me that, I need one, one more thing about this. And if you bring those questions to the Lord, including those paradoxes, he'll show you both sides and show you everything in the middle and then he'll tell you now what do you think <laughs> well that's wild and then he'll tell you and this is for your progression because it helps you in xyz and you go oh so you did that for me yeah thank you and then you go one more thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love it <laughs> and just when you're telling me that story i'm just imagining you in the endowment ceremony just oh, yes <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm going, it is that eye opening that that's what it means that that's what it could mean that ah there's been some times when i went with my mom or whatever and i'm like looking over the aisle did you get that did you get that <laughs> it, it, it's really interesting because you know you have no idea why and then you read this thing in this book and the explanation that it has and it's he's not talking about the temple ceremony when he's talking about it he's talking uh, i think what about jewish um yeah, it's, traditions it's part of jewish tradition and some of the priest priestly attributes and things that they did uh, in their in their callings mm -hmm. and, and you go yeah oh, that makes some and, sense. and i guess now the other thing that happened in this particular case and this is i think is typical of all of us is that when the Lord shares information with us, it's only when we are prepared to receive it. Now, we get prepared to receive it long before we are prepared to know what to do with it mm -hmm. and what kind of a mentality we need to have once we've got it. Yeah, exactly. And it takes a little bit of time to realize that oftentimes we are given information that is just for us and it is not for everybody else. And we can't take that attitude in life the saying, ha ha, I know something you don't know. Uh, it doesn't work out that way. And the Lord will remove it from us if we don't keep the, the covenant of having the knowledge and the understanding. And we do it for the purpose in which he gave it to us, we can lose it. Mm -hmm. So it is, uh, and I'm not scolding anybody, but I am saying that there's a lot of times we will ask for things from the Lord. And he'll give it to us, but then once we got it, we don't know how to treat it and respect it. So part of 
what he gives to us is he gives us small bits and see and then looks to see how we treat it. And then if we respect it and we respect the process and we respect his patterns of things, then he will be more than happy to give us more. And then that will give us more compassion, more love, more patience for those people around us who have not had the same gift given or the ask the same questions. And, and you begin to, your heart begins to break for those people who reject truth, who reject, oh, I don't want to know, you know, I, because I don't want to be held responsible for knowing. Mm -hmm. that, that's another option too that many people are taking, right? Especially nowadays. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um. Yeah, what else? What, we're, we're basically out of time. Any last uh, thoughts or, or topics you um, wanted to, to bring up? Have you ever run across talking to somebody and you want to tell them about Isaiah Decoded because of all the things? <laughs> you say, you know, I really want to share this with you. I want to talk with you. I want to, I want to discuss something with you. But you got to read this book first. And uh -huh. they go, why would I want to read anything about Isaiah? You know, I didn't want to read it in the Book of Mormon or the Bible. Why would I want to read a book just about Isaiah? You know, and then you just have to sit back and you go, I'm sorry, but it is so good. And that's what the Savior is doing. Everything he's been doing is just like that. I have so much that I want to teach you and share with you, but you've got to want it first or otherwise it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have some friends who love to, they come and pick my brain and they're like, oh, tell me what you've learned now. And I'm like, well, you need to read this book. Well, I don't have time. Get it on Audible. You know, mm -hmm. hey, here's the link. Sign up for these Zoom classes. I think you'll really enjoy it. You'll learn so much. But I don't have time. I, I can't <laughs> help you then. Right. I've invited to, to these or, you know, just to, to read things. It's like you want to know more, but you don't want to pay the price for it kind of thing. Right. Yeah. They don't want to pay their own price. They want to just ride along on whatever I've learned and whatever I've, you know, picked up. And, you know, at the beginning, you know, I would learn something. Oh, look, this is kind of cool. This is kind of cool. I'd put, pull some things out of the scriptures and kind of give them a little bit and stuff. And they're like, oh, that's so great. Can I see your notes from, you know, and then it would be like, can I see your notes from conference or can I just take pictures of your, of your scriptures and what you've underlined? And I'm like, come on <laughs> i know i i used to think that with like the prophets and apostles oh if i could just have their scriptures for one day and just kind of see how they take notes or whatever but then after you know really delving into something i was like no that would totally be robbing me of my own uh, learning process mm. there, you know like that's yeah the crux yeah I, after a while i i just stopped given them anything and i'm like oh yeah well you know i've been reading some good things and you should read this book you should read that book i mean i have one who bought the book yeah <laughs> but they don't read it <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't think well, she's still it. yeah that's basically why i quit posting to facebook because everybody was like oh i like what you share but then they wouldn't do their own study so mm -hmm. i'm like oh, okay i'm not going to share what i'm studying it's up to you yeah. to study and so i like having this group this learning zion because people were on this you know we all want to study and share with each other but everybody else just turned one right on the coattails i think of the, a few people that did all the work and they wanted to read your study notes and i'm like uh no i don't think so mm -hmm. Well, and one of the problems you also run into on Facebook is you get people who, you know, they come up with some good ideas and a lot of people start saying, oh, I like what you have. I like it. Then, then they start to get a little book clout in whatever group it is. And then pretty soon it kind of goes to their head and then they have something to say about everything. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, there's been a couple of them lately that I've just looked at and gone wow arrogant much i mean i used to really like the stuff that you would contribute but there's a totally different tone to it now and i'm just not getting the same vibe so you know it, it doesn't matter you have to always be on the lookout and and mm -hmm. always be 
um, ready to discern your sources. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I get promptings every once in a while to go back on Facebook and, and check this or, or do this kind of thing, but I, I pretty much left it. But I tell you, every once in a while, I'll pop on there for a specific thing and something else will catch my eye. And it's just somebody that I really like is just posting on something and being really, you know, like you said, arrogant or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I'm not dealing that because the normal me would get in there and try to ruffle feathers or you know like no you're totally wrong or this or that but just like that's why the lord told me specifically i don't think it applies to everybody but you know like me specifically get away from facebook it's not doing me any good being there he he prompts me every once in a while to do certain things because you know it's a great tool for connecting with our ward etc but it <laughs> it's just a it gets me all ruffled up every day when if I go on there and see some of those things that are being posted I'm just like Ugh, I hate that it changes my perceptions of people and and I just need to look at everyone as a, as, as God sees them and and all that kind of thing I, I used it to keep the pulse of of how the the attitudes and things are moving in general right mm -hmm. yeah you know you kind of kind of see how things are moving and you know when you do get out there and say um no this is what i think it is and and you get pounced on or whatever you're like okay you can say what you want but i'm, I'm telling you some truth right now here's the way it is and i'm just you know this is the spirit told me to i didn't want to post the spirit told me to sit down and write this so i'm sitting down to write this and and i'm you know, walking yeah. away kind of thing. But um, it, it's very interesting. There have been a couple of times I, I felt like Samuel the Lamanite on the wall. <laughs> you know, in LDS groups, right? I, I literally one time, I truly, at the end of that day, I, I got down on my knees and I, I prayed to Heavenly Father, please bless Samuel and let him know that I understand a small fraction of what he went through because man, that's what I took today in defending the truth and everything against what the world has got to offer. And um, it was it was quite an eye-opening experience. Um, and I guess one that I needed to have, uh, but I really came to appreciate Samuel the Lamanite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so just last question before we all kind of go off. I know it's kind of early to be even looking into the future and everything, but um, what are some of y'all's ideas of what you want to do after Isaiah decoded and the, the book of Isaiah? Uh, like, what are some of your, your favorite book recommendations that you think would, would help our groups progress in their learning that we think we're ready for? Some of the things that have been kind of uh, batted around were uh, Triumph of Zion uh, by Pontius, um, actually diving in and, and studying some of the books of like Enoch or Ezekiel, some of those apocryphal works maybe, uh, like the Ascensions and uh, Assumptions and, and stuff like that. Um, one of my favorite topics that I'm kind of wanting to head into, at least in a personal way, is looking into the School of the Prophets and Lectures on Faith again. I studied it a while back, but I really want to kind of dive back into it. Um, I've been studying like Mary Magdalene, fairy tales. Anyway, just what are what are some of your guys' book recommendations? Or, And you don't have to answer now if, if you want to just kind of take time to think about it and maybe we'll discuss it as a group next time too. But just kind of throw that out there. What other kind of books would you maybe be interested in? <laughs> he said if he had a beard, he'd be stroking it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. And that is the kind of group we are. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so chew on that for a week, and and if you have any recommendations, you can like email me, text me, learning sign, or just hop on next time with with any. I might ask that at the beginning of each class for a couple of weeks, just to kind of get some ideas flowing. We've only got one chapter of this book left, huh? I know it's crazy, and you know, actually diving into Isaiah's words is probably going to go up really quick because I mean it's 
it's intense, but I, I think it'll go fast and we'll have a new book before we know it. So I kind of wanted to at least get our minds thinking along that route. But There's a lot in Isaiah, though. There's a lot we can talk about. There is a lot. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, I've been diving in and I've been using um, Avraham's uh, apocalyptic commentary of the book of Isaiah and um, what's the other one? I don't know. I've been reading two different books uh, as I'm going through the actual words of Isaiah. It's been really fun to, to kind of get some more insights and stuff reading it. I always had, I, I do commentaries a lot better because they're in like plain English and, and stuff versus the, the actual text, which I know is a fault on my own. But uh, as we go through it, I, there's so much in Isaiah, you know, like you look at Isaiah decoded and it's kind of the overarching, uh, uh, structure of the ladder, but there's there's a lot more to it than than that, and uh, really diving into it's a, a pretty uh, detailed process. Uh, it takes a lot of work. I'm excited to go through it though, and especially with help and with the group. To... So, are we reading the whole book of Isaiah? Uh huh. Yeah, the whole book of Isaiah in the bifid structure that he talks about. Um, so, uh, the the chapters are going to be not necessarily in numerical order, um, but uh, I'll, I'll post that chart for the Bifid structure. Uh, it's going to be like one through seven, I think it is, and 34 and 35 the first week. Okay. But, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, it's been fun. <laughs> uh, I, me and my mom always go back and watch all of these each week and uh, get a kick out of some of the, the places we, we take all of our discussions. It's been uh, a crazy ride, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, these are the best study groups ever. I love it. Um, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see y'all next week. <laughs> Have a great week. Bye.